In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus has provided us with a number of parables to help us better understand the many-faceted nature of the kingdom of God or the church. We now come upon two parables. The uh, first time that we have parables that Jesus did not interpret for us. But the meaning is rather plain and self-evident. Jesus is giving us two brief parables that are very closely related. First is the parable of the mustard seed, and then second is the parable of the leaven or yeast. There are some obvious similarities in these two parables. In both parables, the kingdom of God has a very small beginning. The significance regarding the mustard seed is that it's small in size. Notice verse 32. It is the smallest of all seeds. Compared to all the other seeds of the garden, it would be by far the tiniest. The significance of the leaven is that it is small in relationship to the large amount of flour in which it is placed. Notice verse 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven the woman took and hid in three measures of flour. So in relationship to these three measures of flour, it is so small that it is viewed as being hidden. It cannot be seen. It's small. In both parables, the kingdom expands greatly. In the parable of the mustard seed, in verse 32, the seed, though it's the smallest of all the plants of the garden, grows to be larger than any of the other garden plants and becomes a tree. In the parable of the leaven, the leaven spreads throughout the entire measure of flour. So it starts off very small, hidden away, but yet then spreads into the entire three measures of flour. But there are also some significant differences in these two parables. First, the parables provide us with two different pictures for the expansion or increase of the kingdom. In the parable of the mustard seed, the kingdom grows. And that's the emphasis. Notice Matthew 12, verse 32. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants. So the kingdom grows. In the parable of the leaven, the kingdom spreads. Spreads and permeates the entire three loaves of flour. The second difference in these two parables is that they provide us with two very different pictures of the nature of the kingdom. It is this observation that is the key, in my estimation, to the understanding of these two parables. For while they are similar, they are not synonymous. 
And they teach us two very different things regarding the kingdom. If you can remember with me two weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the weeds or the parable of the tares. And if you remember in that parable, the kingdom was likened unto a field. And the field had both good seed and bad seed. It had wheat and it had wheats. And I said it was a parable depicting for us the visible kingdom or the visible church. How it is comprised of both the regenerate and unregenerate, but at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the unregenerate are going to be weeded out, and then you're left with the true, invisible kingdom of God. That thought is carried on with these two parables. The visible church is the gathered people of God that associate themselves with Jesus. It includes everyone who professes any allegiance to Jesus Christ, whether or not they are truly born again. The invisible kingdom, or the invisible church, is comprised of those who are truly born again, who are really in relationship to Jesus Christ. They are the true kingdom. They are the true church. In these two parables, we have a parable of the visible church, which is the tree, and we have the parable of the invisible church or the invisible kingdom, which is the leaven that's hidden in the flower, cannot be seen, but permeates and transforms that flower. So we have two parables with two distinct teachings concerning the kingdom. One about the visible kingdom, one about the invisible kingdom. This morning, we are going to look at just the first parable. Next week, we will look at the second parable, the parable of the uh, leaven. But this morning, just the parable of the mustard seed. And so our theme is lessons concerning the growth of the visible kingdom or the visible church. Lessons concerning the growth of the visible kingdom or the visible church. The central point of the parable is the tremendous growth of the visible kingdom of God that will take place. The visible kingdom will have a very small and humble beginning found in these words in the beginning of verse 32. It is the smallest of all seeds. The point is the kingdom will start out very small. The kingdom or the church had a very small beginning. It was just Jesus and the 12 disciples. That's pretty small. In fact, in Jesus' day, the idea that he was a king was almost laughable. Laughable. Do you remember when Jesus is condemned? He is condemned for insurrection, for having proclaimed himself to be a king. And uh, as such, 
the Roman authorities viewed him as a threat to Caesar. After he's condemned, listen to these words. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown made of thorns, they put it on his head, they put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him and said, Hail, King of the Jews! Look at this king! As they put a robe on him, as they put a crown made of thorns on his head, and they put a reed in his hand for a scepter. Ha! He views himself as a king. He calls himself a king. Look at this king of the Jews. Where is his kingdom? It starts very small. But through this parable, Jesus teaches that that kingdom is already present. Although now in a tiny manifestation, it will grow into something that is beautiful, that is tremendous, that is great. Don't despise the beginning of small things. In fact, the kingdom of God will grow to such a degree that it is more magnificent and more significant than any other kingdom on the face of this earth. Look at verse 32. It is the smallest of all seeds, and now these words, but when it is as grown, it is larger than all the garden plants. Uh, I have read that a mustard seed can grow to be as much as 14 feet in height. Fourteen feet, towering over all the other plants of a garden. The point is, the visible kingdom, or the visible church, will experience tremendous growth. As I said, the kingdom begins with just Jesus and the twelve. And it grows into what we see today. So what do we see today? We see the outworking of the Great Commission. Jesus came and he spoke unto his disciples and said, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go therefore into all the world, making disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. There is no jurisdiction over which I don't have authority. Whether that be in heaven or whether that be in earth, everything is under my jurisdiction. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples. That process of disciple-making was to be done by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go make disciples followers of me. So just how much has the visible kingdom spread? How many 
adherents are there today to Jesus Christ? A study conducted by the Pew Foundation in 2011 has netted these results. They divided the world's population into five regions. The Americas, that's North, South, and Central America. And in that region of the world, as of 2011, 840 million, 70,000 Christians. In Europe, 565 million, 560,000 Christians. Sub-Saharan Africa, 516 million, 470,000 Christians. Asia Pacific, 285 million, 120,000 Christians. The Middle East, 12 million, 840,000 Christians. With a total of 1.09 billion, with a B, adherents to Christianity in the world today. Are they all born again? Of course not. Of course not. These are professing Christians of all stripes, of all characters. We're talking about the visible kingdom. And this kingdom has grown to 1.09 billion people. How big is the visible kingdom? It says that it will grow to be larger than all the other garden plants. Today, Christianity has the largest number of adherents of any religion in the world. There are more people that profess allegiance to Christ than to Muhammad. There are more people that profess allegiance to Christ than Buddha. There are more people that profess allegiance to Christ than any other religion on the face of this earth. Those who consider themselves to be Christian are one-third of the entire earth's population. Think about that. One-third of the people on the face of this earth identify themselves with Jesus Christ. Again, are they all born again? No. We're talking about the visible kingdom. Those that say that they are affiliated with Jesus Christ. But not only does this parable denote the kingdom's growth numerically, It also depicts the kingdom's growth structurally and organizationally. For the tree has many parts. This mustard seed, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 32, grows. And as it grows, it roots, then it sprouts, then it flourishes. It will have a stem, it will have leaves, and eventually it has branches. Notice verse 32. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So now it has a trunk, if you will, has a stem, 
It has offshoots. It has branches. In the book of Acts, we have the spread of the organizational church, if you will, the body of believers, people that in various cities identify with Jesus Christ. So we have the church first established in Jerusalem. We have in the city of Antioch the first place in the New Testament where people are actually referred to as Christians. And then we have the missionary journey of the Apostle Paul and establishes various churches throughout Macedonia. And we can speak of the specific churches, such as at Ephesus and Philadelphia, etc. So what's happening today with the organizational structure and spread of Christianity? According to the World Christian Encyclopedia, there are more than 33,000 denominations in the world. Christian denominations. 33,000. There are more than 3,400,000 Christian places of worship on record. So those would be churches, those would be places of meeting. 3,400,000 churches around the world. It's grown. It's grown. From a seed to a mighty tree. That's the main emphasis. But next, we're to see the result of the growth of the visible kingdom. The kingdom will become so large that the birds will come and actually build their nests in its branches. Notice verse 32. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. What is obvious is that the birds are not part of the tree. The nests are not part of the tree. They dwell in the tree. Thus, the visible kingdom, you see. For we have the tree, which is the kingdom, and we have the birds and their nests in the tree, but not a part of the tree, separate from it. So you have in this visible kingdom, you see, people that are born again and people that aren't born again. Now, all of that is pretty plain and pretty indisputable, even though the parable is not explained for us. But here's the tough part. What are we to understand about these birds building their nests in the tree? 
Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? That the birds of the air are building their nests in the kingdom. Well, the commentators are divided. Some see that as good. Some see that as bad. And this morning, since it is not interpreted for us, I think we can see both good and bad in the idea that there are birds building their nests in this tree. So first of all, what's the good? What's the benefit of the results of the growth of the visible kingdom? Why should we rejoice, if you will, that there are birds building their nests in the branches of the kingdom. Why is that a good thing? Answer, because the kingdom will be a source of great benefit to the world. The nests of birds are places for their home. They are places of shelter. They are places of nurture. They are places in which their, their young are protected. They are places in which they are kept free from predators and from other animals that will harm them. They're up off the ground. They are protected. The idea is that the kingdom will be of great help, encouragement, and protection for the peoples of this earth. Even as Jesus healed, cast out demons, fed multitudes of both believer and unbeliever, both of regenerate and unregenerate, as Jesus ministered to all peoples, the blessings of the kingdom. So the blessings of the kingdom, the church, are demonstrated to all the peoples on the face of this earth. The visible church that does such things as builds and provides schools, hospitals, mercy ships, food, clothing, Shelter, organizations, helping people to overcome addictions, combating evils, standing against such things as sex trafficking, and all kinds of evils that are on the face of this earth, and that people are able to find refuge because of the church. Locally, locally, for example, we have the rescue mission. Just a couple of weeks ago, Susan Spar was here, uh, director of uh, the Lebanon Rescue Mission. We have Clay as a member of our congregation, chaplain with the Lebanon Rescue Mission. They have the men's shelter, of which our own Clay, as I said, is chaplain, ministering to men, providing food and shelter both to believer and non-believer alike. The Agape House, ministering to women 
and children. The free medical clinic that has been started, providing medical help to those without insurance. All of which your ties go to help and support. All a part of the organizational growth of the kingdom of God. All a part of the diversity of branches of which our own community is experiencing blessing. Then globally, many Christian relief organizations and ministries by missionaries and by organizations. We have the Tanzania Project, which we support. There's digging wells, providing health clinics, education. Your ties and offerings help to support the training of Tanzanian nationals so that they would be instructed in the word of God, providing pastors from among them. Your ties and offering go to help support Samaritan Purse. Listen to the mission of the Samaritan uh, Purse, and I quote, Samaritan's Purse is a non-denominational, evangelical Christian organization providing spiritual and physical aid to hurting people around the world. Since 1970, Samaritan's Purse has helped meet needs of people who are victims of war, poverty, natural disasters, disease, and famine with the purpose of sharing God's love through his son, Jesus Christ. You're providing for people around the world with your tithes and offerings. Shoe boxes have been brought. You've seen them sitting here in the front of the pew. That is the expansion of the kingdom. That is ministering to the birds of our day and our age. The church is a tremendous blessing to the world. We're doing good. And we should do good. It's a part of kingdom work. So then, what are the negatives? Why would some see problems with there being mess and birds in the kingdom? What are the dangers? Remember two weeks ago when we talked about the parable of the tares. The issue was, should they uproot the weeds? Should the kingdom be purged of the unregenerate? And the answer was no, unless lest you would root up the wheat along with it. And then at the end, we saw that unique verse that says that when the kingdom is purged, it will shine forth gloriously. And I talked about how the good deeds of the church are sometimes uh, hidden by the ill deeds of the unregenerate that are associated with the church. Well, in like manner, there are some problems with birds and nests being in the tree. As the visible kingdom grows, there is a tendency for parts of the kingdom to lose its way. The light does not shine as brightly as seen in the parable of the weeds. As organizations grow, unfortunately, sometimes they fail to maintain their unique 
kingdom perspective. Let me give you some examples. The YMCA, Young Men's Christian Association, was founded by George Williams. He was a London draper who was typical of the young men that had been drawn to the cities by the Industrial Revolution. With regard to the history and purpose of its founding, this organization and its female counterpart, the YWCA, was established to provide low-cost housing in a safe Christian environment for rural young men and women journeying to the cities. It was associated with industrialization and the movement of young people to cities to work. The YMCA combined preaching in the streets and the distribution of religious tracts with a social ministry. Philanthropists saw them as places for wholesome recreation that would preserve youth from the temptations of alcohol, gambling, and prostitution, and that would promote good citizenship. A council was formed to further the growth and spread of the YMCA. And two themes resonated during the council. They were, and I quote, one, the need to respect the local autonomy of YMCA societies, and two, the purpose of the YMCA, which was, and I quote, to unite all young male Christians for the extension and the expansion of the kingdom. That was in the original purpose statement of the YMCA, to unite Christian young men to expand the kingdom of God. In the 1870s to the 1930s, the YMCA just expanded throughout the world, not just in London, but throughout the world. But after 1930, the YMCA began to lose its way. In the 1870s to 30s, it says this, during which times they most successfully promoted evangelical Christianity in weekday and Sunday services while promoting good sportsmanship and athletic contests in gyms where basketball and volleyball were invented, swimming pools, Later in this period and continuing on through 20th century, the YMCA had become interdenominational and more concerned about promoting morality and good citizenship than a distinctive interpretation of Christianity. And then this statement. Today, the YMCA is more focused on inspiring youths and their family to exercise and be healthy. The mission has changed. To exercise people to be healthy and to exercise. The birds became the primary focus in the wrong sense. The International Red Cross is the largest relief organization in the world. Think about that. The largest relief organization in the world. The National Red Cross. The origins 
of the Red Cross is in Switzerland. Henry Dunant needed water rights for a business venture in French-controlled Algeria. The person who get him those rights was Napoleon III. The only problem was Napoleon III was on a battlefield in Italy. Dunant did not let that deter him, but set out for Napoleon's headquarters at Salferno in northern Italy. Thanks to that bold venture, this Christian-influenced businessman became the first person ever to win the Nobel Peace Prize. Henry Durant had been reared in active Christian faith. His father was involved in social work, and Durant himself had labored for the Swiss army of the YMCA. He'd been influenced by the YMCA that we just talked about. Making a long story short, he visited the battlefield. He saw the soldiers. He saw that no one was caring for them. And he thought something had to be done about it. And so he started an organization. The Red Cross. Red signifying the blood of soldiers. The cross identifying with Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, he was going to care for those fallen soldiers that he saw on the battlefield. As a result of that mustard seed of one man wanting to care for the soldiers that he saw on a battlefield, he began an organization that spread throughout the world where there were red crosses in many, many different countries, including the United States, but unfortunately, again, lost its way. And so today we still have the symbol, the symbol of the National Red Cross, and they have spread into many good things of relief, not just for soldiers, but Katrina and all kinds of good things that they're doing. But when it comes to the gospel, they've lost their way. They are no longer a uniquely Christian organization, but they have become secular. So what is the point? Here, I think, are some important lessons. First, we can see the growth of the visible kingdom. It can be quantified, counted, measured, and its growth is undeniable. So don't despise the day of small things. The result of the growth of the visible kingdom is that much good is being done throughout the entire world. Birds come to find shelter and protection in its branches. The church has long been associated with schools, hospitals, digging of wells, the growth of human rights. Even as we see Jesus casting out demons and the healing of the sick, providing food for the multitudes, we ought to be involved in good deeds, ministering to our community ministering to our world, not just to those who profess faith, but to all mankind. And we have not been a failure if people don't profess faith, even as Jesus was not a failure with those that he healed who did not profess faith. It is legitimate in and of itself. It's a part of kingdom work to do good, to relieve pain, in suffering, to try to minimize the consequences of other people's sin. That is good kingdom work. 
But sometimes, in the kingdom's growth, the message becomes obscured because somehow taking care of the birds overshadows the very gospel itself. So we always need to be vigilant. We always need to be on guard so that the good that we are doing would always be in the name of Christ. The sharing of the cup of cold water always ought to be in the name of Christ. We should always accompany the sharing of material needs with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must be careful in partnering with other organizations, taking funding from non-Christian sources, while doing good Ultimately, we may fail to provide people with the best. That is the gospel. I don't know how many of you were here on Wednesday night when Susan Spar was here. She did a wonderful job of uh, promoting and presenting the work of the Lebanon Rescue Mission. But I'll tell you what ministered most to me. Just warmed my heart. when she spoke of how the gospel is central. And her greatest concern was the gospel would remain central in the housing of these men, in the providing of the medical health care through the free health clinic, while caring for these women with uh, their children, but that the gospel would remain central. I say to you, that's the emphasis of this parable and the visible kingdom. It spreads. It grows. It should be a delight. It should be a wonder. It should be an amazement out of Jesus and 12 disciples that we have such a religious Christian organization where today one-third of the earth's population identify with Jesus Christ, and there is good work going on on the entire face of this earth of people's needs being met. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But don't lose sight of the gospel. Don't let the desire to do good for others limit the proclamation of the truth of God's word. So next week, we're going to talk about the spread of the invisible kingdom and how the gospel is going to permeate our society. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Bless your church, its ministries. We are thankful for the many organizations that we support that are involved in good deeds, that are ministering to the physical well-being of individuals. Lord, thank you for that opportunity to serve our community, to serve our world. Lord, uh, may we shine forth as bright lights in a perverse and crooked generation by our good deeds. And Lord, preserve us and keep us that we do not lose sight of the goal but in ministering to the physical and material needs of others, 
we maintain our commitment to the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.